0: the O'Reilly Security Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Allen. This week, I spoke with Chris Weisopel, co-founder and chief technology officer at Veracode. In this podcast episode, we'll be talking about what building secure software quickly really looks like and how defenders can enable developers to create secure software. Enjoy the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me today on the O'Reilly Security Podcast.
1: Hi, Courtney. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Fantastic. Today we're going to be talking about secure software development.
1: Yes, definitely. It's a topic that I have been uh, passionate about for over a decade.
0: Wonderful. Well, let's start with a brief introduction. How did you begin working in the security field?
1: So I began um, sort of in a alternative way. Um, I was a software developer and uh, I was working on some software. It was one of the first, uh, you know, internet server software. It was sort of a, the category, it was sort of discussion, a discussion piece of software. And this was in the 90s. And I realized that, you know, if users could tamper with other people's information, log in as other users, that that was not going to make my software work very well. Um, and so I started thinking about the problem of building a secure application when it's multi-user and coming over the Internet. And it got me interested in that this was a hard this is a hard problem to solve. And this was an interesting problem for me. So um, I, I sort of ran into, you know, the security problem myself and said, I, I, I want to dedicate um, sort of my career. I didn't know at the time, but to trying to help solve that problem.
0: Interesting. And uh, now I believe you're the CTO at Vericode. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your role is there and uh, how that applies to building secure software?
1: Yes. So I co founded Vericode in 2006 to build automated security testing solutions for people building software. So prior to Vericode, I was a consultant at a company called At Stake, and we did this manually. We did code reviews, um, we did manual manual testing. Uh, and uh, I figured there's, there's got to be a better way. So I uh, started Veracode in order to enable developers to have tools so that they didn't necessarily need an expert to come in and do manual processes. They could run automated testing, um, and that would help them um, discover vulnerabilities before they ship their software so they could fix them and you know, hopefully be shipping uh, more secure software.
0: Wow, you guys were really ahead of the curve on that.
1: Yeah, so it's been it's been it's been a while, Um, you know, it's we're 11 years in now. And we actually recently I should mention, we recently got acquired by CA Technologies. So we're part of a of a bigger software company, but we're, we're not changing our mission. We're continuing on to make sure people can build secure software with all the new ways people are building software today.
0: Wow. Well, congratulations on the acquisition. Oh, thanks. So you frequently speak on the topic of the importance of creating secure software. And also, you talk about what that looks like without slowing down development. Can you lay out the problem space here, sort of how the story is playing out in organizations?
1: Yeah, so really what's happening is every company that is out there practically is relying on technology to compete. And, you know, this isn't just disruptors out there that are startups trying to you know change the transportation industry or the hotel industry there are enterprises that have been around for a long time and building software for a long time and they're realizing that the that the software that they build the experience that they give their customers their employees their partners can be a competitive advantage They can enable new things so software is is not like in the back office just sort of managing the books anymore at big enterprises it's out in the front and it's it's part of that Company's value proposition. I even talked to a fertilizer company a month ago. This fertilizer company is so excited about integrating software and IoT to make your fertilizer experience better. I mean, what's more prosaic than that? And yet, mm-hmm. software is being is competitive even in that business. So what we're seeing is uh, companies want to compete. They want to go faster. They want to be innovative, and they're all sort of taking the the cues from Silicon Valley. And some of the top software companies and startup companies of how they're building and, and innovating quickly. So we're seeing changes that switches to agile, to DevOps, to API first, to, you know, cloud deployments first. Um, and uh, what that all means is you need to you need to be able to build software faster and more reliable and sort of move towards that small batch processing, get features out to customers quicker. And that is changing the nature of software development. More open source is being used, more cloud services are being used, and security has to adapt to that. Security, you, the, the, the world of, of application security used to be the development team built the app. Hopefully, you got to talk about the design a little bit in the beginning when they were speccing it out. Um, but in general, they finish the app and they say, OK, do the security testing. Tell us what's wrong with the app. Uh, we've earmarked two weeks for you to test it and we'll fix it. And that model just doesn't work anymore when you're doing deployments on a daily basis, when you're integrating in open source and and services in order to just go fast. And so security really has to be built in to the process. There's no more, it might be better if it's built in, it won't happen if it's not built in. So it's got to be built into all the different tooling that developers are using. If they're using you know they're using IDEs. Of course, it should be built in there. They're using continuous integration, integration, continuous deployment tools. Has to be built in there. Has to be built into the way that they that they do defect tracking. If they're using containers for deployment, it has to be built in there. If they're using, if they're pulling constantly pulling down open source to inter- incorporate into their product. Security has to be built into that process of pulling in the open source. So, what we're seeing now is a change from security at the end, done by a separate team, to security is just another function of the development team. So, people are calling this DevSecOps hmm. because DevOps was really development and operations coming together and being one team. Um, and I know a lot of the DevOps people don't like the term DevSecOps. And it really should just be let's do, put security into DevOps. And uh, we're seeing security process and technology just be starting to be owned by the development team. So that's, that's very exciting on one hand, because we've always said, hey, build it in, you know, so it's sort of transparent and inescapable from your software development process. But in the past, it's still kind of been a nice to have. Now companies are realizing they're not going to be able to have a secure application unless they build it in because of the way they're constructing their software. So it's a challenging and exciting time for us in application security. And I see a lot of changes happening over the next couple of years.
0: Absolutely. We're certainly seeing these transformations play out and affecting so many different stakeholders within organizations. I really appreciate you. You talked about software as a competitive advantage, and I really like it when we start having discussion about security also being a competitive advantage instead of thinking of it as this last process that we just sort of tack on. It's this thing that we have to do to check a box. It's a component of high-quality software.
1: It, it, it absolutely is. Um, if you want to be sort of the leading of anything, whether you're building, you know, a, a software infrastructure that other people are going to use, you're building a SaaS service that uh, customers are trusting. If you're going to be a leader, you really have to be secure. I, I experienced this. This was probably a, this was back when I was a consultant at AtStake. I experienced this as we were hired by uh, Microsoft to take a look at their IIS web server people, certainly security people probably remember, IAS 5 was having a security bullet and come out probably, you know, every month or two. Um, and you were going to, you had to take down your web server, you had to patch your web server. And of course, you didn't want to want to have any sensitive data in, in that because it was getting broken into all the time. So people couldn't, people were frustrated with the Microsoft web server, and they also weren't trusting it to do as important things that they could be doing. and And Microsoft, realize this, that unless they really made their web server secure, no one was going to adopt them as a web platform, which would have been a huge strategic mistake, right, to to have that. And what they did was, so they decided to completely rewrite the software. IAS 6 was a complete rewrite from is 5 And they actually hired me and some of our other consultants to make sure that was secure, that as it was being built, it was secure. So I use that as an example of if you're going to if something is strategic to your company and you want to be the leader in something, if it's not secure, you're not going to meet your goals. So if you look at all the services that we all use on the on the Internet, things like You know, Google and Facebook and Twitter, and we, you know, we use things like iOS as a platform. We all think of those as really secure. So if you're a company who wants to be a leader in your category, you should just start off knowing that you're going to have to get there.
0: Yeah, that's a great real world example. Thank you for sharing that. So, Talking about building secure software, there's a lot of stakeholders within organizations who have to be on board to truly implement a secure software development program. Can you talk to me a little bit about who those stakeholders would be within your standard organization?
1: Yeah, so really, you know, overall with security, just to sort of step back and and get outside of applications, we're we're realizing that this isn't a this isn't a sort of uh, an IT function where you know IT makes sure the laptops and the desktops and the servers are secure and the email service secure and every everything is fine because that's not how people do business anymore. People are on their mobile devices. People are using. All kinds of uh, websites to run their business. You know, individual business units are uh, like marketing team is buying software or using cloud services. You know, the idea of security being just securing the hardware that your company owns is 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 really gone. And so, it's really every org- every part of the organization, whether it's marketing, uh, line of businesses, HR, finance, all these teams have a responsibility to make sure what they're doing is secure. And the CISO really has sort of a governance function and making sure that they communicate to all the other executives across the company. We're seeing the same thing happen within security. Um, It isn't just the security team that reports to the CISO that's gonna make sure all the software that's being built is secure. Because as I was saying before, that would mean sort of just coming in at the end as an auditor and, and telling someone, you know, putting in change orders of what to fix, and that doesn't work anymore. So the uh, the, the security organization really has to work hand in hand with the with the uh, software development organization. So the stake the, the big stakeholders um, we're seeing is the the VP of engineering, um, the architecture. You know, a lot of companies have an architecture team, centralized architecture function. These engineering roles are critical. Because what we're going to start doing is we're just going to start having to build security into the development process. And it has to work the way that the company builds software. It has to work with the tools they're using. It has to work with the integrations they're using. So, um, so sometimes I think it's more important that you know, the security analysis could be good or bad by a particular technology. But if it doesn't fit into the way that the software development team is building, it won't, it won't be used. So I, uh, something that has a mediocre you know, ability to detect flaws that always gets used is better than something that has a great ability to detect flaws that doesn't get used. So um, that's where we're seeing an important shift from the sort of the, uh, the depth and the comprehensiveness of sort of the security analysis that tools can, 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 can provide to something that's fast and integratable and consumable uh, by the development team. So that's one of the trends we're we're seeing. And um, that requires the engineering organization really to have a big say in in how security is done.
0: Absolutely. We're seeing this transformation. um, And in fact, part of what you're talking about here is a little bit aspirational, I'd say, for most organizations. They are starting to say that they see the need for this, but they aren't quite to the point where they can implement it. What are some of the pain points that you're seeing in organizations that perhaps see the value here, but they're trying to get beyond just the value statement to actual implementation?
1: Yeah, so I think most organizations will have pockets of you know people using DevOps, using the most modern techniques. And those are, you know, software projects that have ramped up in the last, you know, year or two. One of the big challenges is um, software that's been being you know built, maintained, and upgraded over over many, many years. So you know think of think of a financial services company's you know online banking software. You know, they probably started building that fifteen years ago, and it's probably gone through two or three major uh, changes, but it's the tooling and the language and the libraries and all the things that they're using are all from you know many, many years ago. So, Fitting security into that style of doing software sometimes is, is harder because they, um, they're not used to the newer tool sets and the newer ways of doing things. So that, to me, is a, a pain point is, is, is sort of the older, the older projects. Um, it's actually sometimes easier to, to integrate security into a, um, even though they're, they're going faster, um it's it's easier to integrate into some of the newer development toolchains that 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 people are using
0: ultimately this is about two seemingly opposing goals for organizations speed of development and security or at least that's the conversation that we hear most frequently is that there's trade-offs here so are we actually looking at a scenario where we have to make trade-offs between creating secure software or creating software quickly Will there always be some trade-offs involved here?
1: Yeah, so I I think there might be some trade-offs, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as as what people are afraid of. You know, you you could say, well, is there a trade-off between speed and quality, right? And the whole agile... Movement and then even into DevOps was we're going to go fast, but one of the ways we're going to maintain quality is we're going to require unit tests written by every developer for every piece of functionality they do, and that these automated unit tests will run on every on every build and every code change. So by changing the way you do things from maybe a more manual back end weighted you know uh, full system test to smaller batch incremental tests of pieces of functionality, you were able to speed up uh, the development process without sacrificing, you know, quality. So that's a change in your process to do that. Um, same, you know, with performance, I think that, you know, to have a high performing application, you didn't necessarily need to spend more time um, building it, you needed better uh, intelligence, right? So, So APM, technology, um, you know, put into production to understand performance issues quicker and and, and better um, allowed teams to still go fast and not have performance bottlenecks. So changing the way you do things and adding additional technology is a way to still go fast or to go faster and maintain something. So I think with security, we're going to see the same thing. There can be some additional technology put into play. But I think the other part is changing your process. And we call this, you know, shifting left, which is, you know, find the the security defect as quickly as possible or as early as possible um, in the development lifecycle so that it's cheaper and quicker to fix. So, for example, you know, if a developer, um, you know, writes a cross-site scripting error as they're coding up some JavaScript um, and they're able to detect that within, you know, minutes of them um, create or even seconds with them creating that flaw. Um, that is probably something that's going to take minutes or seconds to to fix. Um, if that flaw is discovered, you know, uh, two weeks later, a by by uh, you know a manual tester or some whole program test that's happening, you know, sort of for each each release, that's going to be then entered into a defect tracking system. It's going to be triaged. It's going to be put into someone's bug queue. It's going to come back to them. They're going to see. When it was, uh, you know, they're going to have to task switch to. Oh yeah, I was writing that two weeks ago. Let me see how to fix that. And now you're talking, you know, hours of time to fix the same flaw. Maybe a scale of ten or hundred times more time is taken. So shifting left is a way of thinking about how do I do small batch, you know, testing and fixing. And so that's a process change that um, that I think can keep go. You can keep going fast and be secure. The other thing is just having new technologies. To, to, to bear. Having um, interactive application security testing, which is something that you're instrumenting the application in its staging environment or at runtime to give you more information about where flaws might be. Or doing static analysis on smaller pieces of code as they get checked in, as they get built. All these things are adding new capabilities that, that you can still go fast, but Maintain your security, that was a a, a, a a sort of a to the right big batch problem um, at the end of the cycle.
0: I think the parallel you made to performance is really helpful here. Um, many organizations, you know, perhaps five years ago, were looking at building performance into their processes, and that's something that they have already overcome. So thinking about it and that parallel makes this really relatable.
1: Absolutely. And so, so that's one of the things that we're 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 trying to do is as uh, application security professionals is look at what development teams have how they've overcome other challenges to go fast, like quality, like performance, and get buy-in. Basically, saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do some of the similar similar ways that you've overcome uh, the speed challenges with these other essentially non you know non functional requirements like. Performance and security are both non-functional requirements. You can think of them the same way.
0: Absolutely. So I think part of what I heard you here, what I heard you say here, is that there's a bit of a mindset problem here, where people seem to think that security means that they're going to lose development speed.
1: Yeah, and I, I think part of the problem with that is is security and development, you know, being largely largely siloed, where the security stuff was all done by the security team. I mean, there's still I still have a lot of customers, and I know there are a lot of companies out there that they essentially finish the build and then they hand the software over to a security team, which then runs testing tools on it, um, comes up with a list of flaws that they care about, and hands it back to the development team. And that handing off between two teams, that those handoffs, that was manual handoffs. Um, you're scheduling meetings. You're you're doing email. You know, th- th- those are the kind of things that those 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 silos keep keep people from. Going as fast as they can, So this has to be something where so the security experts are going to try and make sure that everything that the development team can do without them is getting done by by them. So part of that is fitting into their process, but another part of it is what I like to call um, security champions, which is finding those developers who understand security and then helping them with extra training. Um, helping them with um, getting them all together across the organization with birds of a feather sessions, doing things like um, capture the flags exercises with them so that we're teaching the developers to, to know um, a lot about application security. So, they, so the development team knows when they um, are running into a problem or they know when they don't know enough. One of, the, one, of the, one of the problems with application security is the developers don't know enough to know when they need to call in an expert. You know, when an when an architect is building a building and knows that there's there's going to be a problem with um, the structural engineering of a component, they don't understand. You know, will this design work? The architect knows to call in a structural engineer to augment their expertise. We need to have the same thing with the software developers. They're experts in their field and they need to know a lot about security. But they also need to know when do they have to have someone come in to do some threat modeling or do a manual code review on a really critical. Um, piece of code, like, you know, uh, account recovery mechanism or something like that. Um, So this is where the teams need to, we need to shift more security expertise into the development organization. And part of that is also going to be that the developers knowing when to call out to the security team. And I think that's a way that we can also help, help the challenge of hiring security experts because they're hard to find. There's not as many to go around. So I think we all owe it to the developers to help enable them have more knowledge about you know, how to solve this problem themselves.
0: Makes a tremendous amount of sense. As you said, it's, it's well known in the industry that uh, there's negative unemployment and security and the gap between the open security positions and the amount of people actually available and qualified to fill those positions is only going to grow. So I can see tremendous value in building your development team security understanding, and also minimizing the amount of time that they're taking from the security team when ultimately they might be able to answer the questions themselves.
1: Yeah, what what we tr- what we try to do what we try to do is we try to get a security champion per Scrum team. Um so each team has someone who 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 they can go to which is one of their teammates and it's not the security team and we don't want the security team to be a bottleneck right that's that's going to keep us from going fast so the more things we can alleviate from the security team um the less resources we need there and the less bottlenecking we have so this is all we're we're solving a lot of different problems by making security part of the development process and trying to automate it as much as possible
0: makes sense So something that we're seeing a lot is this refrain where people say security is important, software must be secure. But there's some level of lip service involved in that. People all sort of nod their head and agree with these statements, but there's not always a lot of understanding about how to actually implement practices. So for organizations that might just be beginning on the journey to bring security into their software development, where should they start?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I think you know an important place to start for all of this is some level of training. It doesn't have to be a lot; it can be you know 30 minutes or an hour. But I still find it, it, it kind of shocking that a lot of developers don't understand really pervasive issues like SQL injection or cross-site scripting. You know how they manifest themselves in code. So I think some basic level of training is a great start. The second thing you really need to do is put in some automated testing tools into your development process so there is some testing done on all the code before it goes into production or you release it to your customers and i think static analysis is a great is a great way to start there because it is comprehensive it covers the whole program and it can be easily automated into your into your build process, and you can take the issues and then feed them back into your defect tracking system. So, um, some some basic automation of of sort of one testing technique is the next level. You don't need a lot of experts to do that. And then I think as you get more mature, then you start to need some some experts to augment the the automated testing. So, experts that can come in and help when you're designing the software, it can help the team do threat modeling, and then can help you know, sort of augment what the automation can do with manual testing. And a lot of organizations start this in reverse. They start trying to hire the experts. They start trying to do the manual testing before they do the simpler automated testing, because they want to have something that is, you know, absolutely secure, um, you know, with a high level of assurance, which you can get um, if you spend a lot of money on a lot of experts. But you, a better place to start is work up that incremental curve with some automation before you start hiring those experts which are hard to come by or maybe hire one and not a team of you know five people but eventually you know when you, when you get more mature you have your automation and your manual all working together and you have what uh, what, what I like to call sort of a, a an enterprise wide you know governance where you're setting policy across the organization based on each piece of software's risk to the organization and you have you're, you're sort of governing it and, and, and managing it um, organization organization wide. Um, so those are sort of the steps I see up the learning curve. So it's you know get some education, put in some automation, you know then hire some experts, do some manual testing, and then on top of that, you know get 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 the, get the technology and the people to, to to govern across a large organization.
0: That's some great practical advice. I thought it was especially interesting when you were talking about how a lot of organizations work backwards. That makes so much sense too because a lot of organizations have a very limited security budget and using that wisely is so important. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think a lot of the organizations work backwards is because that's the way it was done in the past, right? And it was done in the past where you had to do it manually. So you had to hire someone who could do manual testing. Uh, or a manual code review. Um, but you don't have to do that anymore, because we have automation that can do um, a large percentage of that work. Um, and then the manual can, you know, can fill the gap between what the automation can do and what the manual used to be able to do. So that's that's why it makes sense to go there first today.
0: Great. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but the role of developers and the role of security. Those lines are getting a little bit blurrier. Ultimately, do you expect that developers will, for the large part, inherit security?
1: Yes, I I think so. Um, one one of the things we 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 we've been calling this at uh, at Veracode is the full spectrum engineer. You've probably heard of the full stack engineer, right? So the full stack engineer is someone who understands, um, you know, how to configure and build all the different layers, which makes up a modern, you know, multi-tiered application, right? They can they can do mobile, they can do web, they can do infrastructure, they can do OS work, they understand containers. So it's a, it's the stack of technology. Um, what we're seeing is something orthogonal to that happen, which is the full spectrum engineer. So we're seeing that, you know. We started with with Agile where engineers were required to think about building unit tests and the engineers were um, required to think about the automated quality process that the software would undergo. And then with DevOps, we started to have a single engineer understand both, you know, the operations of the software and maintaining high reliability and scalability and performance and operations, but also thinking about the functionality and how how that happens all together. So that's sort of another another sort of knowledge role, uh, and we're seeing we're seeing security start to fit into that. So the full spectrum engineer can do. Both, you know, they can they can do functional code. They can, they can make sure it's tested, so it's reliable. Um, they can they understand operations, so they understand how to how to perform how it's how it can perform and scale. And, and now we're adding another, uh, you know, another uh, color to the spectrum, which is um, security knowledge. So they know how to operate security tools. They know how to de- They know how to remediate security defects that come out of the tools. And maybe they even understand, start starting to understand how to do threat modeling and understanding, you know, an attacker's perspective. So the full spectrum engineer is 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 really the wave, the wave of the future. You're always going to have expertise that are deep in any one of these areas, right? Like for functionality, you still have UI experts, right? Um, for, re- for, for, for operations, you still have site reliability experts. Um, for security, you're still going to have security experts, but that doesn't mean that you, sh- you shouldn't incorporate that security knowledge into the way that the software is built. So that's, that's really the future that, that we're, we're seeing happen.
0: Interesting. It sounds like that is such a large, broad skill set for these full spectrum engineers.
1: No, absolutely. But if you think about it, um, that allows I mean, it's obviously good for, um, you know, uh, you know, career career enhancements to have those different skills not everyone's going to want to do that i i understand that there's a, a lot of developers who don't want to do devops right they just they don't they just want to do development or there's there's a lot of ops people who don't want to do devops and they just want to do ops and that's that's fine there's still going to be jobs doing that for a long time but i think if you look long enough down the timeline we're not going to have developers that don't understand security um, at all. And I, I know actually know some security people that have said, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, become a developer. I, I want to be on the other side building things and I'm going to bring my security knowledge to um, to bear to the software I'm building. So I, I think that is going to be the, the future.
0: Sure, it also seems that part of this move towards the full spectrum engineer is that the tool sets are less distributed, which make it possible for someone to have a little bit of expertise or be able to wield all the various tools needed to build in all of these different goals within their software.
1: No, absolutely. the The tools are built to be consumed by the developer, right? So you know APM tools that can only be consumed by an ops person don't have a good, Future in DevOps, they have to inform the developer to make the software more performant. Um, you know, security tools that can only be used by a security expert um, are going to be obsolete. They have to actually inform your average developer what the security problems are with their software and how to fix those issues. So it's the technology is changing so that it targets the uh, environment of of the developer, and, that, and that's 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 a lot of what we're focused on here at Vericode.
0: Well, we've talked a bit about what it looks like to start building a secure software development lifecycle. We've talked a little bit about some of the steps towards maturity, but ultimately, what does the end goal look like for building a secure software lifecycle within a mature organization?
1: Yeah, so I think the the end goal is that, you know, the development team um, can do sort of 90% of, of the security work that needs to be done to build a secure application without calling in, you know, the security team, because every time they call in the security team, that that's sort of, that, that's, a bo- that's a bottleneck and you're grabbing for scarce resources. So the future really looks like there's automation built in at all the different steps along the development cycle, you know, pre-check-in, things happening in the IDE, you know, um, Things happening at unit test time, at integration time, uh, security processes happening, monitoring happening in production. So along the whole security lifecycle, we've automated um, as much as we can. And uh, when, when issues are found, you don't have to call in an expert to tell you how to fix it, that there's enough expertise and knowledge by the development team to say, oh, yeah, that's another command injection issue. Um, I understand that. I can look at the data flow. I can see where we need to, you know, do some input validation or some encoding, and I can just, I can just fix this. Uh, I, I, you know, my, myself. And there's always going to be a need for some manual testing. But I'm not going to gate. I'm not going to gate me shipping software on that. I'm going to let my software go into production, and I can do my manual testing perhaps in in parallel. And that's also another mind shift um, where people say, "Oh no, you're knowingly shipping software that has vulnerabilities in it." And I say, "Well, you're doing that now um, all over the place, all over your organization." And um, and what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to have so much security testing up front that the number of vulnerabilities going into production are going to be so small, and you're also going to be able to find them even if you're finding them manually. You're going to be able to fix them quickly and push out fixes within a day, and you're going to stream those fixes as those issues are found manually. So it's it's actually a lower risk. So the future is really you know engaging with those develop, DevOps processes and. Um, and, and having security organization be less relied upon to build secure software.
0: Sounds like a bright future.
1: I, I actually, I, I think that we're going to end up with more secure software into the future, even given the challenges of people saying what we're deploying to the cloud and we're going really fast and we're using all this open source. I, I think we can solve all, uh, all of those problems um, going forward.
0: I look forward to seeing that journey and transformation take place in the in the next few years. Um, well, I wanted to one, thank you so much for joining me on the Riley Security Podcast today, but also to let our listeners know that you are going to be joining us at O'Reilly Security this fall. And you're going to be keynoting on the topic of great software is secure software. So much along the lines of what we've been discussing today. I'd love to know what other aspects of the conference you're excited about.
1: Well, when this O'Reilly conference started last year, I was very interested in it um, because I saw that it was one of the first conferences focused you know, on, on defenders. And I was Unfortunately, I had a conflict and I couldn't go and I was a little disappointed. So I'm very excited to go this year and excited to speak at the conference because um, I I think that, you know, defenders typically get a small niche at uh, or one track at, at most conferences if they get a get a track at all. And, you know, there is actually a lot of exciting things happening Eat um, in defense, and I, I think a conference dedicated to it is long overdue. And and uh, I think I'll end up going to see a lot more talks at a conference like that than I will at one that is more more focused on on the offense side or malware or reverse engineering or some of those other things which you know aren't aren't as focused on defense. So I'm very excited to, to go this year.
0: Well, we're very excited to have you keynoting. Oh, thank
1: you.
0: Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on the O'Reilly Security Podcast.
1: Courtney, thank you for uh, speaking with me. It was great to be part of it.
0: Thank you for listening. You can reach Chris on Twitter at weldpond. If you like the show, remember to subscribe to the O'Reilly Security Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode.